Blog Talk Radio. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Born to Talk Radio Show. I'm your host, Marsha Witeka. Conversations plus connections equals community. Those are my three C's. The heart of my show is what's your story? It's my belief we all have stories. Some are similar, others are uniquely different. Storytelling brings the passions of my guests to life through our conversations. So be prepared to be entertained, informed, and inspired. Welcome to today's show. Well, hello, everybody, and it's true. Conversations plus connections equals community, and that is really definitely in sync today because of my conversation with Elizabeth Hamilton Garino on my show this past June, and I was connected to my guest today, Sally Huss, and now I am part of their community. Welcome to the show, Sally. Thank you so much. It would be fun to be here. Oh, I'm I'm really looking forward to it because you have had a, when I say what's your story, my goodness, I don't know if you're going to ever write your own biography. Maybe that will be in there someplace, but you have an <laughs> exceptional life. And we're going to be talking about the fact that you have authored and illustrated 100 children's books and so many, so much more. But I'd like to let our listeners know a little bit about yourself and sort of the background before we get to your um, author-illustrated part of our show. So I thought you could just tell us, Sally, a little bit about where you grew up and your background. Yes. Well, I was raised in Bakersfield, California, in the heat, and um, I was raised uh, to play tennis and to be a tennis champion. That was from the age of 10. And so it, it was a different kind of life than most kids because of being um, directed in one specific area. And um, I focused on that. My father was my big support in that. And uh, it was different, you know, and that's probably what started everything off for me was the fact that I was raised to be a champion. And how that manifests through my life was amazing as I look back. And as you say, Maybe one day you'll do biography. But I did a little uh, memoir, and that's what I found out. I found out, boy, I've done a lot of very different things in my life, but always affected by that uh, first um, uh, input of being a champion. Was your dad a tennis player? My dad was a great athlete who had no opportunity whatsoever. You know, he was raised in a very poor situation, but... Uh, he got my brother and myself out on a tennis court when we were very young, and then we got us tennis lessons, and we started in in that way. My brother was a fine fine player all his life, but he didn't have quite the the competitiveness or the ability to change physically physical strokes and motions as easily as I did, and so I was the one that uh, uh, most effort was put behind at that point. That's, so that's, that's how really it started. You know, that, that, yeah. it is really interesting, and, and I, I happen to have a connection to Bakersfield as well. I had family oh. members. My mother's um, aunts lived out in Bakersfield, and I just recall Bakersfield sort of being way back in those days, oil fields. And, yep. um, <laughs> I, you know, and we would go and we would take the grapevine to go to Bakersfield and uh, visit my, my Aunt Hannah that lived in Bakersfield. I was 
just a very, very young child back in those days. So Bakersfield is, I don't know, what's it about, what would you say, about three hours from L.A. now? I'm not really sure. I haven't been there in so many yeah. years. Right. Yeah. But then you and, you went on you went on to um to go to college at USC, is that right? Well, I started um uh, I started at Occidental. I went actually 3 years to Occidental and um college which was, you know, in uh Eagle Rock area near in part of LA. First of all, it kept me close to my coach who was at the LA Tennis Club and um, kept me close there. And my brother had gone to Oxy and graduated from Oxy. So I was, uh, that's where I started. And then, then through other things, I, I stopped tennis. I mean, I stopped um, school at one point because I went on the Caribbean tour and played uh, that tour. And all my friends had left school by that time. But it was uh, such an event to go and play all over, <laughs> you know, Puerto Rico and you know, these places. And, you know, I traveled at the same time as Rod Laver, Roy Emerson, these kinds of uh, Manolo Santana. These were the kind of players that were my contemporary. And the men and women traveled together in those days. So we were all very good friends. And um, it, it was it was great fun. But when I came back, then, uh, my, as I say, my friends had left school. They'd all graduated, and I didn't want to go back. So I said, well, I'll go to SC where my coach was and so that's how I finished there but my uh, my uh, training was really or my major was fine art and so um, yeah but I never I never thought I would do anything with art I mean in those days um, uh, just like tennis I never thought I would do anything commercially with tennis I never thought really I never thought much but I but I certainly didn't think about what what I was going to do with my life you know and to uh, be a tennis player, there, there were no professional players in those days. It was just you played for the glory of it and uh, the enjoyment of it and the excitement of the whole thing. So it was a different did you time. Always, did you always play singles or did you ever play doubles as well? No, I played doubles too. Yes, I was a semifinalist at Wimbledon doubles as Ooh. well as singles at one point. Yeah. And uh, so you you always played both and usually played mixed doubles as well. So I was a quarterfinalist with, um, I think, Bob Howe at some point in the at Wimbledon in the mixed. So you played three events normally at the, in those days. But now it's quite different. <laughs> There's too you know, much Sally, money for, I, the, for the single yeah. players. I didn't know. So if in those days, and we're talking, what, 1958? Is that when you first played in Wimbledon? Well, when I was, yeah, when I was 18, I played in 58 and won the juniors at Wimbledon and the U.S. juniors at that time. So I played 58, 59, 60, and 61. But when, back in those, so just so I'm understanding, because I didn't realize this. So back when Wimbledon was happening back in those late fifties, you didn't just singularly focus. You played singles, you played doubles, and you played mixed doubles. You competed. Everyone competed in all three. Yes. Yes. That's yeah. so. Not today, was, right? I mean, not today. I mean, oh, Venus no. just plays right. How interesting. Right. What did you like the best between the three? Oh, well, singles is always the most important. It was always the most important uh, event to play, and that's where the focus was. But um, 
you know, it, there was much more social feeling to, to the game in those days than there is now. With the amount of money um, these players and the amount of effort they put in, um, they can't use the energy to do anything else but usually focus on either singles or doubles. And if they're not a great singles player, then they can, you know, focus on doubles and play singles as a sideline, you know. So right. they're, they're experts you- in doubles these days. Well, so, you Go know, you, it, we all, I'm sorry, I keep interrupting. I'm so excited to hear about this. I apologize <laughs> to interrupt you all the time. I think about Wimbledon. I think about watching Wimbledon. I remember watching it as a kid. I remember watching it as an adult. I remember certain events, you know, um, what um, Billie Jean King and uh, what's his face? Um, Bobby, what was his name? Bobby Riggs. No, like, Bobby, Bobby Riggs. Riggs, yeah. yeah. Yeah, you know, uh, and how how set out tennis um, has changed. It's interesting. Um, my son played tennis in high school, and and really uh-huh. and really loved the sport. He 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 didn't carry it beyond high school tennis, um, high school sports. But it's it's such a great sport because it has you using all your senses, doesn't it? It has you running. Yeah. It has you swinging. It has you. Yeah. Um, switching locations, eye, hand-eye coordination. There's a lot to tennis, isn't there? It's, it's a fabulous sport. And the thing is, if it started young, when like your son, the thing is he has it his whole life. And it's a very social sport when you get older and you can meet people and, oh, you play tennis, oh, let's get together, da 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 and uh, it's opened many doors for me throughout my life. Just reaching that level of confidence um, uh, really opened doors for me in, uh, in the jobs that I ended up, uh, you know, participating in my career after tennis. And it right. was always doors open because I had played tennis and met people. You know, I met um, on tennis court, I met Sam Goldwyn, Jr., on his father's court in Beverly Hills, Sam Goldwyn's court. And through that, I ended up, um, he was working on a film and he needed an amphitheater. And I said, oh, I know, great amphitheater. It's in, it's in Gold Rock. So we, anyway, so I got to work with his art director and, and take his art director around to great locations for that particular movie you know, to dorms and one thing and another, just to get locations, to get uh, ideas for sets and that kind of thing. So there was a lot to that. And then I met um, uh, somebody else and I worked in television for a while. And then I worked in, I worked in, um, uh, at some point I I ran Paul Simon's music publishing company, but there were always doors opened because I had been a tennis player. And also because I'd accomplished something as a young person. And that was that's uh, was very helpful, I think, to to feeling confident in different areas uh, and being with all kinds of people. So that was yes. Yeah. Well, because because I'm I'm just visualizing this whole. I'm trying to remember who was the really famous tennis commentator. Who 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 did the commentating for tennis back in the day, thirty years ago? There was well, well. Uh, Dick Enberg was a great commentator. Dick Enberg, right? Yeah, right. He was a right. wonderful so, guy. You know, we knew him. I knew him in in La Jolla. He was a wonderful person, and he wrote a great review of a book I did, a tennis book I did, 
called um, really? just a minute. <laughs> yeah. What was the name I, of it? Yeah, eight, eight, eight golden rules for how to play your best tennis. Wow. And he had seen me play. Well, I played a little, played tennis with his wife and stuff. Yeah, he's a lovely person. But um, you know yeah. what 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 occurs to me, and, and you mentioned this about being accomplished at a young person. What comes to my mind about what that also provided you, without you saying these words, is that you had to be very confident. I mean, you had to really be confident because at some point you were going to be interviewed for a win. At some point you might have been interviewed for a loss. And you were the center of attention. And you got to be able to suck that up and what, 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 what the good and the bad is from being visible, not only to the, the folks at Wimbledon, but across the country across the world, people that follow tennis. I, it's really, uh, as I'm sure you look back at this and go, wow, that was really my life as a young person. And those doors that you're referring to, it, it, it's, like, it's like a revolving door. When I picture you, I don't ever picture a closed door. I see, well, this door is revolving, and now this door is over here, and now this door is over there, and oh, my goodness, which door should I go through now? What's behind door? It's like, let's make a deal. What's behind door number one? What's behind door number two? What's behind door number <laughs> yeah. three? You know? It's yeah. so cool. Yeah. I mean, I, you, who would have thought as a tennis player that that would have meant that you would have um, uh, been working for Paul Simon? You know, that those those right. you know, it's 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 it, it's so exciting, Sally. And and when I think about my own experience and I think about my own personal tagline about conversations and connections and community and boy yes. if you just look at your own personal sets of communities, they're 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 intertwined, but they are communities of people, whether they're sports or they're entertainment or they're authors, it is, it, it's really tremendous. And so when I say to people, what's your story? I, I don't mean like, well, what's your story? I mean like, what's your story? It, it's just, it's <laughs> fabulous. So when did you stop actually playing competitively for your tennis? Well, I quit at about 21 when I started working for Sam. And, um, yeah, I was 21. I was, had been a semifinalist, and my father and my coach got together and said, uh, maybe she should stop for six months and see if she wants to go back. Well, shoot, you know, I'd lived a life of discipline and great um, structure as far as, uh, you know, I was also focused on tennis and becoming champion, becoming champion of the world. I was so focused. And that opened the door to my doing a zillion other things and being a part of a lot of different, uh, as you say, communities. And that was a, a great experience for me. So I, I popped into things because, as I say, when you accomplish, when you're an accomplished player like that, you're included in a lot of social tennis. And I never thought of teaching at that point. I was just simply... Um, enjoying being a part of some things and playing in a lot of 
pro-am tournaments. I went and played with Clint Eastwoods, and I played at you know a lot, a lot of different tournaments in Beverly Hills, and, and that was you know great fun. But um, so you know it it opened doors. It it led to things where I could do something different in my life. And I had never really explored the art that I had been trained to do um, in school, but I never did anything with that. But I did start writing a little bit and just started writing and tucking away little stories. You know, I'd meditate on something and get a little story theme that would go, and then I'd sit down and write it up. And then I'd, then I'd kind of illustrate it, and then I'd put these little pages together, and I made little tiny books, and I'd put them in a box. And it kept in a closet for years. Uh, wherever I moved, I t- took that box with me because they were like. Do you still um, have it, Sally? Do you still have the box? Hey, yeah, it's in oh. it's in another box. But it, you know, occasionally oh. <laughs> I would lose it. Oh my gosh, it panicked because it had um, revelations in it uh, that were, you know, really kind of told to me. And so then I would put put them in these these little stories. And that's when I met my husband um, in Beverly Hills on a tennis court. He was head of advertising and promotion for Hallmark Cards. And the people there, I used to teach on their court in Beverly Hills. Um, Jennings Lang, he was the head of Universal Film Production. And so um, he um, set up that I would play a social match with Mr. Hallmark that was coming in, Marv Huff. (laughs) And he, he set this up that I should play a little social tennis and, and show him my artwork. Well, gosh, you know, Marv <laughs> had been set up many times before to look at somebody's artwork. So that wasn't a great thing. But anyway, um, you know, I saw him on the tennis court and I really didn't, you know, I just liked him. I liked him. And there's this beautiful big blue light that shone up behind him. And I thought, oh, I'm supposed to pay attention to this guy, you know. Because I had decided at one point, finally, I decided, well, find the, the love of my life. And so I created this little formula, how to do this. I made it all up. It's just a beautiful little story. I've since done a book on it called How to Find Your, um, how to find your Soulmate. Oh, it's yeah. okay. And I kept, kept giving this. Yeah, I kept giving it to friends of mine, and, and they'd get exactly what they want. So it didn't matter that it was a soulmate. It was what you wanted. If you just wanted someone to go to the movies, have dinner, perfect. You just put it down in this letter to the sun, and then you had to go through this little process. And so I had done this, and I kept uh, expecting at any point that I would meet such a, the person of my dreams. And uh, I kept – one of the main things, the key things in the book, and the key thing in manifesting anything is that you have to be there first. So you have to be in love with the person before you ever meet that person. You be in love with that person. And then you think about him and you think about your life together and all this. And so anyway, I had created this whole fantasy going on. And, and so, uh, But because I was in love without any specific person, um, uh, men kept coming forward because they would, they would be attracted to this because, of course, love is the greatest of all attractions. And so I was in love and I'm, you know, I had all these men coming forward and wanting to marry me and this and that. I was off on a trip to Africa, Nigeria and playing tennis there. And this guy over there just falls in love with this, you know, the perfect person. I'm the perfect person. Oh my gosh. 
<laughs> so anyway, when it finally gets around, I, I go to this tennis court to meet the man from Hallmark and play some tennis and then show him my little, you know, some of my little books and some of my art. And um, he, he sat on the side of the court and he looked at it and he, and he, um, he said, well, it's not exactly for Hallmark, but it's very good and all this. And so I took him with me out to Malibu where I taught tennis. And we had a lovely time together there, played some tennis, a bunch of stars, you know, Robert Duvall and, you know, these kind of people. And we walked the, walked the, walked the beach there in front of the homes. And I said, well, this is the guy. When I went home, I looked at my, my uh, list that I'd given the son. And everything was on it. He was right there. And I said, that's the one. <laughs> so, Gosh, Sally. a couple of years. That's, <laughs> I'm, a couple you, of know years. I, you know what I'm thinking about? And I'm chuckling for a variety of reasons. Um, is that you, you were like online dating before every, anybody ever heard of online dating. Yeah. You were creating the profile before anybody knew that that was something you were supposed to do. And, yeah. and this manifestation and, and this uh, Zen quality that you have um, is just fabulous. And, and a lot of people have said, you know, you know, you have to manifest it. You have to you have to believe it. So you were in love with this man, if I understand what you said correctly, well before you ever met him. You right, were just right. ready. You were you have to be first you have to be there first. You have some I, I that for those of you that are listening, we're gonna be certainly talking about Sally's books in just a little bit. But but before we do, you need to understand that there are books that Sally wrote for adults as well and we'll be talking about that in a little while as well but that that's a that's a terrific terrific story but i i want to go back just a little bit more to tennis before we go over to yeah. the other side which is um so you mentioned robert duvall you mentioned that you actually did start to train and teach the movie stars and, and famous people is it right well, i, I was, mean did you yeah I was on Jennings Court, and uh, you know, and Jennings would would uh, send me people. You know, he sent me, uh, um, gosh, uh, I'm to think. Oh, you know, Barbara Streisand and um, Helen Reddy, and uh, you know, I can't. Yeah, Jill St. John. Um, oh my yeah, a lot of people. Milos Forman, you know, fabulous director. Um, interest, oh, so many interesting people. And because uh, at a, a certain point, as I say, I would have been, been trained in a very rigid way of playing tennis, which was the way in those days you had very, very programmed strokes and you worked in a certain way, you know. But um, from doing some dance work, I, I did some um, uh, movement work, movement therapy, and a special teacher and I went to her and it was, you discovered that, that your body has movement within it all the time. And if you just get out of the way, if you go out of the way, get all the programming out of the way, you can function um, very spontaneously and effectively. And so I started teaching this, I adapted it to tennis and people understood it. Creative people particularly understood it. 
So I taught some throwing and twirling and those kinds of things. Joel Gray, I remember him standing on the court and twirling like an umbrella. He was so cute. (laughs) But um, in doing that, everybody could could understand the feeling of it and get into the motion. And they would, it was more like dance is what it was like. It was a Zen way of playing, but it was more like dance. So there was no particular form that you had to have. And I ended up playing so well with this new way. And also the attitude was different. I took on the attitude of uh, without any um, judgment, without any judgment whatsoever of, of the results and I focused only on the movement and the fun of it and the play of it. And because my mother left me a little money and I could go back on the, I'd never played the Pacific Coast West, uh, the Pacific Coast tour. Uh, and a friend of mine was going to go, she said, let's go and we'll play doubles. And I said, yeah, let's do that. And I had this way of playing and I ended up winning like three tournaments out of this, wow. uh, this little um, series. And, and it was a very unusual way, but that's what I taught. That's the only thing I taught was that kind of tennis. And it wasn't really teaching. It was just revealing what the motions were within you. And I could see the restrictions in somebody and, and kind of get those released. And, and, you know, if you start with anything, at any point, you could start with somebody's signature or their writing, their way they they write with a pen or anything you can start with in motion and correct or move something. It affects their whole being. So these, these things would release uh, a rigidness in a certain way in their body then would manifest and they were so much freer and happier. And that was, uh, that was a lot of what I focused on was being happy, you know, playing happy. I, I think that happy probably is your middle name, and when when we talk, when you you actually mentioned to me before we got on the air together, and I think it's even in your biography about this Zen style of training, and what I what I recognize instantly just by your choice of words, and clearly words matter greatly to you because that's what authors do, and you and you mentioned an attitude without judgment for results. And and that without judgment is such a key component in yoga that that oh, yeah. the the moment we, we we the moment we reduce the judgment and the criticism and just appreciate the time and the here and the now the happier we'll be, and clearly you understand that so well, which is what allows you to not have to work at being Sally. You don't have to work at being Sally. You are Sally, and that's that's who you are. That's who you are in your core. That That's what came out as an athlete. That's what came out. I want to talk a little bit about your news, your, your syndicated um um, column that you wrote, and then I want to obviously talk the last part of our show all about your books. But anyone that's listening to this or does any kind of research about you will discover that you're not just presenting yourself on the radio, this 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 
podcast with people to like you. Uh, that isn't what this is about, that you like yourself so much because you don't judge yourself and you're just helping people appreciate. And when you mention tennis as a dance, it's funny that you would use the term dance and tennis. I'm a sports fan, Sally. Um, so for those of us that are sports fans, we're, we're kind of happy to have something to look at on the TV right now. And while baseball probably has a short life, um, I don't think basketball will. And I've always felt that basketball was a dance, that turning, that movement, that that it, it, the, just the just the just the sound and the and the movement of a game of basketball to me has always looked like a dance. And I, I just it made me smile when you said that about tennis because clearly you know that is that is your sport. But that I, I enjoyed hearing that. So when you took your career from tennis you obviously met what i would call mr wonderful because he was a tennis player and it sounds like tennis had a had a really huge you know impact on your life so let's move over to happy musings because i think that is an incredible story that i would love for you to share with the listeners oh yeah well um um when um, when I met uh, got together with Mr. Wonderful, he had uh, decided to leave Hallmark um, because he worked for Mr. Hall directly, and it was okay. uh, not his, not his choice to continue. He he'd worked on he'd done the Hallmark Hall of Fame television series for years, and with Mr. Hall and a lot of different things, fascinating things. But anyway, when we got together, we decided to do different kinds of things. The first thing we did was um, I had through tennis had a contact and a man uh, out of New York wanted to, he had property and he had $20 million. He wanted to create a resort in Aspen. So he hired us to build this and to fill it with people, you know, club members and and uh, it, it, Marv was fabulous because he was a real business person, so he could, you know, handle all the construction stuff and one thing and another. And I was, I was the tennis head tennis pro, and we it, we had you know volleyball, we had uh, racquetball, we had squash courts. It was just a beautiful place. So we spent some time there running that, filling it, and that's where I played Bobby Riggs in one of those Battle of the Sexes events. And which was lots of fun. And uh, anyway, he, but that was the beginning of us doing something together. Then we ended up going to California, returning. We both were originally Californians. And we returned to California. He was in real estate at one point. And I was uh, kind of bouncing around trying to figure out what to do. And I went to, um, you know, those outdoor shows, craft shows that you see in every city and place and you and these craft shows and there was somebody there that had a booth that had these little pieces of art with these inspirational thoughts and I thought wow I can do that and I looked at it and I thought well this is not really unusual I figured out how to structure a whole booth and write these little thoughts and Marv would we'd go to the beach in La Jolla and sit on the beach and he'd say okay give me a 
thought on attitude. I said, okay, attitude is everything. Pick a good one. Yeah, that's good. Okay, give me one on uh, dream. Dream big, plan well, work hard, smile always, and good things will happen. Okay, now give me one. So he helped me create lines of, of these inspirational thoughts, thoughts for friends, thoughts for family members, thoughts for occupations, you know, uh, doctor's thoughts, uh, dentist's thoughts. And these thoughts became little pieces of art that I put in these baskets. And I had the art, the, um, so I went to these art shows, structured this whole thing. It was just a beautiful display. It was lots of fun. And we had these little baskets with all this stuff. And I originally sort of painted, you know, painted these things. But then, of course, you know, we sold too many for me to paint them. So we had to have them printed. But um, I had leftover paint. And I said, oh, my gosh, I remember I used to be able to paint. So I started painting and putting, you know, using the leftover paint, putting a piece of, putting a canvas up. And that, those would sell. And then my husband, who was the business person, said, well, this is silly for us to just, uh, oh, yeah, that, that's what happened. Somebody came forward in Laguna and they said, we want your art for our gallery and so we put them there and then those paintings sold and he said let's just open a gallery of our own oh my gosh that was so so daring you know for me (laughs) I was someone who you know was not really a big thinker in those kinds of things and he was you know and so we opened our first gallery in um on coast highway in laguna and I remember it was $1,800 a month. I thought, oh, my gosh, this is really scary. <laughs> and and he, um, he, he got in the – he was in there working one evening, and I had taken a big painting, you know, like a – well, at least five-by-five-foot painting and this big floral, and, I, and they put it in the window. He put it in the window while he was getting cleaning up the floor to get ready to open this thing. Bam. Somebody drove by and they stopped, came in and bought that thing for eighteen hundred dollars. And so I said, "Oh, okay, I think we're okay." Mm, <laughs> so, my gosh! It was all those little thoughts, those little thoughts, and people would come in. So, well, let me just continue here. One sure. gallery became five galleries that we owned because one gallery worked. Why not do another one and another one? That was my husband's thinking. He had created the original card shops for Hallmark so anyway so we had one shop you know we had Santa Monica right there on the promenade and and uh, uh, up and down California coast so we had five of these and and also companies would come in and they'd see the art and they'd see the writing and they'd say we want this for our that so I ended up doing three complete collections of of wallpaper through my art and then clothing lines and purse lines. And I would just do the art, hand it over and they would turn it into all these products, which they would sell everywhere. And then, you know, we sold them back. We buy them back. Um, But uh, what happened is how we got into the happy musings is that in uh, uh, these little thoughts, we were in. We had a great, beautiful uh, gallery in La Quinta in the desert, and the uh, new editor of the Desert Sun came in, 
and he would and he finally identified himself and we had a nice chat and he said, I just love these thoughts. I just love these. These are wonderful. And and he said, you know, it would really be nice to put these in newspapers. And I said, Oh, he said, Yeah, we could put these in this in our newspaper every every day. Put one of these in. I thought, oh, wow, that's really nice. That would be great, you know. <laughs> and he, mm-hmm. so he said he showed me, he said, well, would you like to be over here with the puzzles or would you not like to be next to the masthead? I said, are you kidding? <laughs> the masthead, <laughs> of course. So that was, the first, that was the first newspaper that these little thoughts were in. And that newspaper, once I saw that it was very successful and people loved it, um, and I would do six of these a week. I had to do six a week. Um, pieces writing these little things doing a little piece of art sending it in so then um, someone came forward and said well why don't you just go to a big syndicator and so I contacted King Features and there was a you know it's hard to get through to anybody Uh, you know you think so on the internet but it's hard to get to the people that count and I kept going down to if I get a human being I'm fine but, but to be able to send something, it was a difficult thing. So I found a salesman who was in Carlsbad, 14 features, and I chatted with him, told him what I had. He said, send me this. I sent it. Man, the next day he calls and he said, um, I sent this on to our um, editor in New York. And that fellow got a hold of it. And he said, you're ready to go. We don't even test this. And wow. so he started putting it in newspapers. So I did that for 12 years, six Six pieces, six little little thoughts with, um, a week. That's on top of the other stuff that I was doing. Okay. <laughs> and, yeah. So recently, my husband, my husband said, "Would you put the, some of those musings in a book? You know, get them in a book." Because I never quite got them together to put them in a book. So I finally have this uh, this book that I had done called "The Importance of Living Happy," and uh, I said, how can I use these in this connection with this book? And so I call this 365 Reminders of the Importance of Living Happy. And I just turned right now to a page and it says, Miracles tumble out of the sky and fall into the laps of those who expect them. You know, uh, along every path, beautiful experiences are gathered. Fall in love with life. Life is already in love with you. So they were just little thoughts, not too heavy, not particularly religious, but just about life and any little thought. And so that's how the happy musings came into being. I remember um, uh, having an evening at the uh, uh, hotel, having dinner with friends, and and she she said, oh, there's Jack Canfield and and his wife, Inga. He said, she said, oh, I want you to meet Jack. And so I went over and met Jack. She said, oh, you've got to, Jack, you've got to go to Sally's Gallery. It's right down the street. And you've got to go. It's like 10 o'clock at night. And so we wandered down there. We wandered down and turned on the lights. And he stood there and looked around at all the art. And then these tables with all these little thoughts on them. And he said, what do people say when they come in here? And I said, that it's bright and happy. He said, yes, that's it. And so he wandered through, looked around, spent some time. My friend occupied his wife and other people that were with us. And um, 
and then we spent some time. He shared some, ex, you know, spiritual experiences and stuff, and I, you know, shared some other things with him. And and he he finally turned and he he said to the others, he said, "I've come, I've I have what I came in for," and he, he let's go. He said. So uh, anyway, that's that's how I met Jack in the process of these little happy musings and the bright and happiness of the stores. But people had come in, they would come into the stores and they would go into these baskets and it didn't matter whether they bought anything or not. They would, they would go through, sometimes they just had to read something that was nourishing for them. It was like they were troughs to me. They were like, like a horse at a trough, you know, and they were feeding themselves, reading these and then they get something that was important to them and turn around and leave, you know, um, but we had um, other people came forward, and because my husband had created those Hallmark card shops, he knew how to structure things. And he made it possible. People would come in and say, I'd love to have a little happy store like this in our town. And so he made it possible for, the, for these people to have these little stores, and we would supply them with that gift art and a lot of prints for the walls and this and that. And then because I was doing stationery for one company or purses for another company, and they could buy all those things back um, at a discount for them and put those things in a store. And so they had their own little happy stores. And those, uh, we had, you know, 26 of those eventually all over mm-hmm. the country, you know, one in wow. Japan, one in really? Switzerland. That's how it kind of got started. <laughs> wow! And everything's everything's a story, which is interesting. It is a story, and so speaking of stories, let's get over there because this could clearly be a two-hour show. Let's let's <laughs> talk about your children's books, and I must tell you, Sally, um, I have two of them in front of me right now. One is the self-confident yeah. Sandy, and the other one is a lesson for every child. But what I what I find so inspiring about you. I I can imagine magnets must be all over people's homes from things that you've written. But you really give children tools. And by giving the children tools, it not only connects the child to the book, it connects the reader to the child who's holding the book. Whether you, Mm -hmm. I have a really good friend that's a kindergarten teacher. She needs to have these books, especially now with the way people are delivering education. But for grandparents and parents that just want to share this delightful, colorful, I, I, it is just, it is so, it, it could make you cry. The way you, the way you just put this together is just so remarkable because it's about confidence and the fact that you say i can dance and i can sing yes i can do most anything once i set my mind and heart to it i find there's nothing to it but to do it still i keep my mantra handy explains self-confident sandy her classmates were thoroughly <laughs> impressed but what i wanted to say is that you, you say this part and this is all illustrated some may wonder why i can't do anything I try. The only answer can be all these things are inside me. 
by trying and doing, that's how I can be the best ever me. And you can do it, too. You can be the best ever you. And then you don't even stop there. No. You said the end, but not the end of being confident. And you give tips. You give tips. i got to tell you, um, it's emotional because you don't have to be a child to read this. Remember, little thoughts and words of self-appreciation make a big difference to oneself. Sometimes I pat myself on my back to tell me what a good job I am doing. At other times, I shake my hand with my other hand to thank me for being helpful. Still other times, I wrap my arms around myself to give myself a hug for nothing more than being me. Come on, everyone. If you are listening to this show... How could you not want this book in your library, not only for yourself, but for your children, your grandchildren? Sally, it's emotional. And we are all, wherever we are today in our lives, some of us are very isolated. I have friends that wish they could hug their grandchildren, but they can't because of their age and and their concerns. And I I just think that you are such a gift to humanity. And... I, I am so, Elizabeth said, oh, Marcia, wait, wait till you meet Sally. And it's like, oh, my God. So I'm sorry to take us down that path because it was emotional, as you could tell. But it's just so illuminating. And I would, I'd be curious to know, Sally, when you start writing, what, what, what's the process? I know you say you've got all these thoughts. Do you ever see pictures before words, or do you always see words before pictures? Um, hmm. Well, usually I don't start with, I, I mean, I trust, it, it, it's like there's a, there's a book out there, and mm-hmm. I'm discovering the book. And so I, I start writing, and... I write, and then I discover what the book is about in the writing. That's, it's not like I start out to write a book about a particular subject. It's mostly, well, in some cases I do, because I'm somewhat dyslexic, so I do kind of work circularly. But um, I can start with a thought. We need, you know, Head Start Denver needed a particular book to help children transition from uh, preschool to kindergarten. And the woman there had no, uh, manager there had no, um, read every book there was. And she, I said, well, what's, what do you need? And she told me the, the, the few points to hit. And that's what I did. So it's, you start with something and then it kind of creates itself. And then the images, uh, the, then the drawings come. But I can see it as a little movie. Most of the time I see these as little movies. And then um, then I draw them and, and put them now that I can illustrate on the computer, which... Oh, my you know, God. I don't, I don't do them fancy. I just do them bright and happy. <laughs> but I don't, you know, and that's what happens. So that's, that's how they come about. But I was led to um, do the books because... Again, the same friend of mine had told me, you need to go to Jack Canfield's um, seminar. You, just, you need to go to one of his seminars. So she kind of helped arrange it all, and I went. And in the back of the, at the end of the thing, there was a whole 
whole session where he takes everyone through a particular um, meditation. There's a there's a an angel, golden angel, up on top of the hill, and she looks down, and she's going to reveal to you. She has a box. She's going to reveal to you what your life purpose is, and she opens the box. And for me, she opens the box, and all these books fell out. So I said, okay. Um, the the galleries had closed because 9/11 hit, and these little galleries couldn't survive that. So. Those the galleries and all that just kind of went to sleep, you know that that did. And so I turned my attention with my husband's support, and we focused on books, children's books. And that's why uh, there's this huge array of books on so many subjects. Um, and uh, you know, when I met Elizabeth, she said, "You need a book on." Um, on how to help kid, kids understand food, allergy. uh, food allergies, right? Food allergies. Well, everybody says, "Oh, I got an allergy to peanuts or whatever it is," and you see, you pass it off. But in this book, you know, she, with her guidance, she said, "These are the things," and she just talked about it a little bit, and I just picked up really quickly on what were the key things to say. And so this book is so good. I mean, I don't want to take credit, but it is good because. The teacher welcomes this new boy into the classroom and then says he has something he's going to teach us all that we all need to know. So it's a young kid who's in the classroom and he starts telling about his particular condition. And in that, the other kids ask questions. Well, isn't it difficult? Is this, does this hurt? You know, in, in, you know, what happens if you have an episode? Those kinds of things. And then at the very end, this teacher, this teacher uh, praises him on his tremendous courage because he has, he has accomplished something that many children have not, which is discipline. You have to be very disciplined when you have a food allergy. So he's at, not only is it about is, is a book for children who have allergies, it's about their friends, educating their friends and the family members to let them know what this is like and how to be careful of them, you know. And uh, so it makes him a little hero at the end by standing up and he becomes more confident, standing up and sharing his particular situation so that they could understand. So, uh, you know, those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a great book. It is. I did the same with... You know, I live here in Colorado Springs where there are um, a lot of kids with uh, military from military families. And I had done four books on the subject. And again, for children to um, the suffering that they go through when uh, a parent is deployed, you know, and so I handled that in several situations, a little girl with her mother and a boy with his father and uh, just a wonderful things, and I get feedback on those books from oh, parents who thank me. Yeah, but I I can hardly read the <laughs> my mother's well, books. I can hardly read that book when they're tearing up. So I know, but <laughs> you know, it, it's it's I I I didn't mention it at the beginning, and I'll, I I want to mention it now, and I'll mention it at the end of our show as well. But for people that are listening uh-huh. and want to to drop over to your website. I want to just tell people, Sally's name is spelled 
just like you would spell Sally, S-A-L-L-Y. Huss is spelled H-U-S-S dot com. If you go to Sally's website, you'll see exactly what you were just talking about with the Head Start and other nonprofit organizations. You are so giving of your talent, and I I think that that's another just dynamic about you that makes you so lovable and why people would want to be around you because you are being able you're able to put into words in ways that children can understand but also it helps the parents to maybe start the dialogue by that conversation yes. like you know if you're exactly. feeling like oh I'm the only I'm the one with the pe- oh yeah you're the one with the peanut you know what I mean if you if yeah. you start introducing more and more kindness and then children can hold their own books i i like the quality of your book i like the physical size of your book and i just i just think that everyone that's around children needs to go to your library and look at these 100 books of books and i i guess what i'm curious to know in the time that's remaining sally is are you is there always a book up there? Like, I, as we speak, are are you working as a book? Is a book working through your mind right now? Um, um, uh, there are a couple of uh, issues that uh, I think need to be addressed. That really, the importance of work, of learning to work, and having a sense of, you know, I ran into a man who. Uh, uh, an African-American man at a restaurant. He was sitting behind us, and he had a child, about seven. And I started chatting with the little kid, and and, uh, the father said, tell her what you do. Tell her about your job. And the little boy said he has a business, and he he works the neighborhood. He separates the waste, the the, um, trash into, you know, recyclable trash or this and that. He picks up the dog's poop that they have a dog. He does all these kinds of things. He has a little leisure. He keeps track of what he spends on his products that he buys and what he takes in. He has a little uh, business card. And his father said, my son is not going to be living off of the government. And that kid is learning how to work. And that's what uh, being a... being raised as a tennis player, being raised as a champion, I learned to work. And you, you, get, you, you don't get always what you want. Maybe I didn't win Wimbledon. I only got the semifinals. But you, you work, and there is a reward to that in, in ways. And I think that's an important thing for young people to learn, the importance of work and not avoidance. Um, so that's, that's something, um, I have books, many books written that are just sitting there waiting to be illustrated. And, um, I, I, I look all the time for the marketing. I'm not a marketing person. My husband is out of date as far as marketing. <laughs> he was a genius in his day, but not now. So that, that is what I look for is, is the real marketing aspect because there are enough books that will help children but I need somebody to be able to get them out, to get them in the hands of children, and I'm not sure quite how to do that yet. That's well, where I am. But I, you know, I always, always got a book. <laughs> yeah, that's that's, that's great. And for those of 
for those of you listening going, oh, oh my goodness, how do I get in touch with Sally because that's what I do for a living, just know that you can easily go to Sally's homepage. There's all different ways of getting in touch with Sally. She's she's accessible. I mean, you even have some free PDFs on your website. I, Sally is very available, and if you want to contact her, you can just send her your email address, and you would find it very, very easy to to be in touch with Sally. So I guess I have another question for you, and that is... Sure. So when you're not illustrating and thinking in your mind um, and you're living in this beautiful place, what do you do to just quiet yourself? How, how do you balance all that's up there with just some quiet time? How do you, how do you balance yourself? I, I still play tennis. You and, do. Uh, I'm, I'm 80, but I still play tennis and I finally backed down one group. <laughs> I was playing four or five women's tennis, and they're pretty pretty strong. The, you know, I could stay with them and and be a part of it. But the problem was that I would be, I would cost me a day and a half in recovery. So I said, <laughs> what I have to do is is what I have to do is just take it down a notch. And I'm I'm happy. I can play Rio. I can play whatever it is. Doesn't matter. It's just getting out on the court and moving. So I like to do that. I like I love the Broadmoor Hotel. I walk the Broadmoor Lake often. I love to walk that lake because it's so beautiful. It's it's really it. You can't look around there without feeling the beauty of the place. It's magnificent. So that's a lot of what I do. You know is, that kind of thing. What's the elevation? Are you are you? Uh, I I've never been there. I think it's sixty five hundred something okay. like that or seven something like that. Okay. I think Aspen it was like nine or something, eight or nine. So it, it's so, it's up there, but not not hugely. It's not right impossible. And, and you're obviously accustomed to it, so your breathing and being able to to play allows you to do that, I guess, right? Yes, yes, yes. And they're lovely people to play tennis with everywhere. Doesn't matter where you go, they're wonderful mm-hmm. people to play tennis with. <laughs> Do you play yeah. a couple of times a week? I mean, you don't play every day, do you? No, I don't. I like to play uh-huh. one or one or two days a week. That that would be my my Got uh, it. goal. Yeah, it's re- yeah. it's really interesting. I don't know if it's picked up by you guys, um, but it is certainly picked up around where I live, and that's people that have trans transformed from tennis to pickleball and do you see a lot of people playing pickleball by you yes there are a lot of people playing pickleball and so we tennis players we say well that's Ah. a game it's not a sport (laughs) that's the way to justify not not venturing into it but I have I have played pickleball and it is a lot of fun (laughs) that's great do you have a whole stretching and breathing routine that you do before you get on the court no, I don't. I never have. I'm a very limber person, so oh. um, I don't. I just get out there and jump around. But I used to, when I traveled and played in uh, tournaments and stuff, I used to go dancing every night. That's how I trained. I would go go to <laughs> dives or whatever it was so that I could dance. <laughs> just get on the floor and move. 
Isn't that great? Well, you know, it kind of takes us full circle when you talked about how tennis is a movement and it's it's a it's a dance of sort. Maybe there's not any music, yes. although maybe you have it in your head. But uh, <laughs> I think it's 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 really it's it's great how what a fulfilled life you live, and nobody's life is perfect, but. And, and we we all just strive to live our best life ever, right? Which is what we hear from our friends yes. to, to be the best you that you can be. And uh, yes. if 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 it wasn't for Elizabeth, I, I certainly would not have known about you. But now I really do feel like I am in a community with you, Elizabeth, and Chris, and many of the other people that have um, come to me via that 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 connection and so i feel fulfilled just so you know this is fulfilling for me i i don't i'm not an artist my my brother um taught art um and he he got that from my dad my dad was very artistic i've always been a talker for as long as i can remember <laughs> I tell people I was Good. walking before I was talking before I was walking. I've always <laughs> loved the opportunity to meet people and hear their story. So by having you join me today, I want you to know that our conversation and our connection equals community is very much about what's your story. And I'm just so grateful and thankful, Sally, that you could spend this time with me. And I really recommend that people go over, check out your catalog, see what see what seems relevant for you, and and pick up the books that that make sense to you. Even if it's that Finding Mr. Wonderful, you know, whatever that might be, or, or you're back in your tennis days and all of the children's books you've written, uh, you are you are a gift. And I, I want to thank you so, so much for for sharing your gifts with me today. It's just been outstanding. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's been wonderful. I really enjoyed it. And uh, best wishes to all of your listeners. Too. Thank you. Yes, well, stay, stay well, everybody. I know we're living in times that can cause some difficulties for all of us. But there was a song from Spamalot. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but you probably are, where it's um, he sings, always look at the bright side of life. And I think yes. that that's probably, you know, are you familiar with that song? Um, yes. It's, it's yes. a great song yes. from Spamalot. And um, I suspect that that's probably how you live your life. So um, I will I will forge ahead just like you. And thank you all for listening to me um, to the show today. And join me next week when my friend Peter Bedard is going to be rejoining me as a as a guest. He he has a great story to tell as well, and so does everybody. We all have stories, but I like to collect them and share them. So until next time, everybody. Thank you once again, Sally, and have a great week, everybody. Bye for now. My pleasure. Thank Bye. you.